Please now remain standing, and we'll hear our second scripture reading as we continue through the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 11. This passage begins on 1196. It's Hebrews 11, 32 through 38. This is God's Word. And one more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. As far as the reading of God's word, you may be seated. Let's pray. Our great God, thank you that all scripture is inspired by you and that it is supremely useful for our reproof and our training in righteousness so that we would be well equipped for every good work. And we know, Lord, that every good work comes by faith. And so we pray, strengthen our faith through this time in your word and give us teachable hearts Expose the areas of our unbelief where we need to grow in faith. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We talked a couple sermons ago about how difficult it is when our life does not go according to our script. And um, there's plenty of examples of this, aren't there? (laughs) When our plans and our hopes fall through, when we don't get married when we expect or when our jobs don't lead to the satisfaction that we had hoped or the fulfilling kind of work we had hoped for, lots of other examples. And in those situations, we talked about how faith gives us power to keep on enduring, keep on um, being joyful, keep on serving with whole hearts, not giving up. And so we're familiar with how God interrupts our lives and he wants us to trust him. He tells a different story than we were expecting. He, he goes off of our script, but it's still his good script. But now we want to ask, is there no script then? Is there nothing that um, the Bible tells us that we should know that is certainly part of our script for our lives? Um, are there ex- we talked about how there are lots of expectations we shouldn't have, but... Are there expectations that we should have? Can we speak of a normal Christian life? In other words, a Christian life that is going according to God's 
script for us, despite all the diversity, obviously, of each one of our lives. So, is there something, is there actually a script that God tells us? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. And in our verses for today, the author, he's changing his pace, you probably noticed this, and he's saying, look, I could keep multiplying examples. Time would fail me if I went through the entire Old Testament and showed you all the examples of faith, right? But what I'm going to do now, he says, is I'm going to give you a whole bunch right in turn to give you the big idea. I'm going to extrapolate from all these examples to show you two patterns. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to look at each of those in turn. We're going to talk about these two patterns that are the script for our lives, for every Christian's life. And then we'll talk about how our lives will need to change if we really get this script, if we really internalize this as what God wants for us. So what are the two patterns? What are the, the, the scripts that God tells us we should expect? The first is a pattern of victory. And this is what we see in verses 32 and all the way through to the first half of 35. And, and just think, already in, in Hebrews 11, we've been seeing lots of examples of victory, right? Um, we've, we've heard amazing pictures of, you know, the faith of Abraham, of Sarah, many others, um, and their victory through faith. And then the author says, look, what more can I say? I mean, time, time would fail me. I'd run out of time if I told you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, etc. And, and wouldn't we just love, though, if he had the time, <laughs> if he actually had gone through all those? Wouldn't that be fascinating to hear? And especially since when we think about some of the specific names he cites, we don't necessarily, like, our mind is not necessarily drawn to those guys, like Gideon. <laughs> That's not exactly the first person I'd think of <laughs> as an example of faith. I mean, think about how many times he tried to get out of fighting the Midianites, right? <laughs> Please, somebody else, not me. But I believe that's actually exactly his point in naming these guys. Here are weak men. You think about Gideon, you think about how fearful Barak was, right? How immoral Samson was. And yet these are the guys who, verse 33, through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, and so on. These are amazing deeds done by very weak and sinful people. How do they do it? Of course, by faith, right? And just think. Think of the things he lists here, of the things that weak people were able to do by faith. By faith, they conquered kingdoms. And we think of the evil, child-sacrificing, idol-worshiping kingdoms of Canaan that were way more powerful than Israel, way stronger fortifications. And what did Joshua and the Israelites do? They were actually able to conquer those kingdoms by faith and the power of God. By faith, they enforced justice. And we think of Solomon. And he made many wise judgments. And it's so emphatic in 1 Kings that he did that because God gave him the wisdom, not because he was so wise in himself. By faith. He enforced justice. By faith, they obtained promises. And we think of the really big promises inherited in, in um, Israel when they inherited the promised land. That's a huge promise. And then what happened after that when they had conquered the land, Solomon built the temple, and, and the, the glory of God come down, comes down. You remember what 1 Kings says in 1 Kings eight fifty six? 
Solomon says, now all of your promises have come. It's the high point of Israel. By faith, they inherited all that God had promised. By faith, they stopped the mouth of lions. And of course, we especially think of Daniel here, right? He stopped the mouth of lions not because he was so powerful. Right? He was lowered into the lion's den. He stopped the mouth of lions simply by his trust, by his faith. By faith, they quenched the power of fire. And now we think of Daniel's three friends, right? How they emerged completely unscathed, not even the slightest bit singed from Nebuchadnezzar's furnace. How did they do it? By faith. And by faith, they escaped the edge of the sword. And we think of lots of people here. Elijah and Elisha were often pursued by the sword. Jeremiah, many others, who had wicked rulers seeking them with deadly force, and yet God protected them. How? By faith. And then the next three phrases sum it all up. They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. And when you take it all and you put it all together, you realize, wow, there is nothing, absolutely nothing that can resist the power of God at work in those who have faith. Nothing. Huge armies, defeated. Powerful forces of nature like fire, Completely neutralized, can't, can't even touch the three friends of Daniel. Violent creatures like lions, tame as ever, stopped. Challenging, seemingly impossible things to do for mere humans to do, like enacting true justice or inheriting these huge promises, achieved. And it's just check, check, check. All of these, all of these by faith. And my favorite is the last one. Women receive back their dead. By resurrection. It's kind of mind-blowing how many times this happens in the Bible. The widow of Zarephath and her son, thanks to Elijah. The Shunammite woman and her son, thanks to Elisha. The widow of Nain, thanks to Jesus. And on and on. And there's even figurative examples of this. Naomi receiving back her dead, her dead husband and her dead sons. How? By, as it were, a miracle of resurrection thanks to Ruth and her faith. And in all of these cases, what's the big idea? This is the big pattern. Weak people made very strong by faith. And yet, it's not like the superhero narrative. Right? What's the superhero narrative? I'm sure youth could give us the expert on it. This is my impression of it. The superhero um, narrative is some science experiment goes wrong or <laughs> something like that and somebody becomes ridiculously strong right they get this like superpower and then they have that superpower that they do and they hopefully use it for good right well this is different this is weak people who are still weak but they're given the strength of god that god continues to wield on his terms right it's a different thing, and it's, it's showing us, look, God is still the one in control. Even when we have the faith, we're still waiting on him to do what only he can do. And I, I think that that is particularly highlighted for us in the one that says, by faith they inherited promises. Just think about that one a little bit more. 
By faith, they obtained promises. It's like saying, by faith, this is the amazing thing they did. By faith, they received really huge presents from God. Right? And we're, we're like, wow, nobody could boast in that, right? I received a really big present. Aren't I awesome? Well, no. <laughs> Isn't God awesome, the one who gave it? Right? And that's really what's true of all of these heroes of the faith. All of them fall in this category. They were all strong, yes, in a sense, all strong in the strength that God supplies. Now, why is God telling us all this? I've been saying all these things are here, not so we can say, wow, look at all those amazing things God did in the past. I'm telling us that we are hearing these things because it's telling us our script. Remember 1039, Hebrews 1039. We, the writer and the audience, he says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. In other words, who let weakness be the decisive thing. We are not like that. But we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. In other words, the entirety of Hebrews 11 is introduced by those verses to say, you want to know what the life of faith that you're living right now is going to look like? Look at these, look at these saints. And what's the great, great theme that we've been tracing? These saints experience awesome victories from God. So what does it mean if this is your script? How would this change your expectations for your life? Well, let me give you some contemporary examples of people who, by faith, are expecting great interventions from a mighty God, even though we are very weak. It's things like this. Seeing God draw to himself a beloved family member who seemed irretrievably lost, lost in sin, hated God. You've been praying for them for decades, and God brings them back. Amazing. Having an, ex an estranged fellow Christian with whom you haven't been able to talk for years spontaneously come to you in tears and ask for forgiveness and seek reconciliation with you. <laughs> this, is, this is the Holy Spirit. Having a child who has been struggling with sin come to you without warning and say, look, I realize I have been in the wrong and I need your help. Or... God restoring a child who had completely fallen into apostasy. Remember, women receiving back their dead by resurrection? You should expect women will receive back their dead. Or being in a very tight place financially and seeing God provide in astonishing ways that like, whoa, I did not do that. That was God. Or seeing a brother or sister who's apathetic to the things of God suddenly wake up to just how incredible the Bible is and suddenly get unbelievably, kind of crazily hungry about knowing Jesus. Or having a non-Christian magistrate who is openly hostile to the things of God hand down a ruling that gives justice and protects a Christian family. Wow. I could go on. Lots of things like this. And these are precious times in our walk with Christ, aren't they? When God does these amazing interventions... These are times when we who are so weak experience verse 34, right? They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. These are times when to our appearances all things seem lost, and then God shows himself to be the astonishing God of reversal, who loves to surprise us, <laughs> who loves to bless persevering prayers when we're just like, oh, 
I've been praying for this person for like 20 years. And now God takes action. He loves to stun us with his ability to do these things. Christian, if you are a Christian who is hoping in Jesus Christ, if you have faith, you should expect that God will do these kinds of reversals in your life. But fair warning, he will always do them on his timing. (laughs) To emphasize that it is he and he alone who is in control, we are not. There may be seasons when we have to wait very long. Again, this is the faith, right? Taking God at his word, trusting him, waiting long. But we need to remember that he hasn't given up on us. He hasn't forgotten our prayers. And if we ever question that, we need to remember the greatest of all interventions, the resurrection of Jesus. That is an incredible act of God that has happened and that Jesus is still alive today as an assurance to us that he is the God of amazing victory and reversal. So that's pattern number one. Pattern number two is going to be, we're going to need to keep the pattern number one in in our minds as we think about pattern number two because pattern number two is much harder. The other pattern that's the script for the Christian life is suffering. And that's what we see in the second half of verse 35. There's this shift. He'd been talking about all these great victories, and then he says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release. And he goes on. Others received, others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. Here is all this list of extraordinary hardships that the faithful have experienced. And these also probably recall specific events. So the tortures, mocking and flogging, probably recall the martyrs in the 100s BC when there was this Greek conquering king Antiochus IV who tried to make all these uh, people of Jerusalem, all these faithful Jews, forsake God's law. And they said, we won't. We will not deny our God. We would rather be tortured to death than forsake God's law. And then there's other um, recollections as well. Tradition has it that Isaiah was sawn in two. That's probably where that comes from. And we know the good prophet Uriah at the end of Jeremiah 26 was killed by the sword and hundreds of prophets eked out an existence during Jezebel's reign in 1 Kings 18 in caves. That may be what he's referring to there. Of course, all of these, regardless of the specific people in mind, are horrific sufferings. And yet, here's kind of the amazing surprise as we're, we're thinking about this, like, Wow, he's been talking about all these victories, and now he's talking about all these people just getting persecuted and everything horrifically. And yet what he wants us to see, and this is so amazing when you get this, is that those sufferings too are victories. Those sufferings too are victories of faith. He's not stopped talking about the glory of the faithful when he gets to the second half of verse 35 and starts talking about their sufferings, right? He's just changed to a different kind of victory, the victory of integrous suffering. And it's really important that it's integrous suffering, right? We just need to make sure we say this. Remember how if we suffer for what is wrong, First Peter says, like, if you've done something wrong and then you're imprisoned for it or something, okay, um, not what we're talking about, <laughs> right? But if for conscience's sake we suffer wrong, and this can include not just persecution, but just sort of the hardship of serving Jesus, then that is something that is truly beautiful 
That's a victory in God's sight. And the original audience of the letter had lived this. I don't know if you remember 1034. He says, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. The plundering of their property. Why? Because you knew that you had a better possession and an abiding one. So here it seems like these people, they're... The officials had, like, confiscated their property wrongly. And the author of Hebrews is wanting them to say, okay, let's just make sure everybody understands that what happened there when you guys lost that property wrongly, let's just make sure everybody understands that in God's view, that is a victory. Why is it a victory? It is not a humiliating loss because it's saying, when those people accepted that, they're saying, we have a better inheritance we have an abiding one. You magistrates, you rulers who hate Christ and you're trying to like hurt us and take something from us, you can't take from us the resurrection. You can't take from us our reward. And so by not being nasty in return, not hurting them back, not reviling them in return, they're showing that they truly are the more than conquerors that they actually are. So their faith made them strong. They knew that God would more than make up for their loss. And so... Again, just, just wanting them to rightly interpret their, their sufferings. Like, that suffering with plundering, that was a victory. What else? When they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. In other words, the scum of the earth. What does he say next? You are the people of whom the world is not worthy. You guys are royalty. You guys are the beloved children of God. You guys are co-heirs with Jesus. You who the world looks at and says, look at this riffraff. Their character shows, their faith shows who they really are. They refuse to accept release if it meant denying their Lord. They will not deny their Lord. And that is a great victory. So this is one of the greatest tests of our faith, brothers and sisters, our sufferings. Yes, there will be persecutions from unbelievers. But let's remember the other sufferings that come. Inexplicable afflictions of our bodies when we're living in a healthy way. Like, there's no explaining this. Why is this happening to me? Sufferings of soul, again, that make no sense. Depression, when everything seems to be going great. I can't explain it. Or being shunned and treated unkindly, even being treated unkindly by fellow Christians for no good reason. What happens when those things happen to us? I think we're all tempted when those things happen to us. Like, I must be doing something wrong. God must be disappointed in me. And we start saying to ourselves what the other people are perhaps saying about us, that we're trash, we're losers, God is done with you. That's how those experience can make, experiences can make us feel, right? And here's where faith is so decisive. Here's where faith is so important. Faith says, well, okay, that's how I feel right now. But this is what God actually says about who I am. I am his beloved child. I am... I don't get this, but I'm actually one of whom the world is not worthy. <laughs> I, I, am, I am, when these sufferings are coming upon me, I'm not supposed to interpret this as God is angry with me. I'm supposed to interpret this, as we'll see in Hebrews 12, as God is disciplining me as a child because he loves me. And he wants me to grow. So here's the big idea. Victories is part of the script. God's gracious intervention, part of the script. But also now the second point is, your sufferings are part of the script. They're part of God's intention for this life. And all we have to do is think of Jesus. Was it the plan of God that he would be crucified wrongly by evil people? Yes. 
Acts 2.23, it says it explicitly, the foreordained plan of God was that Jesus would suffer. And the sufferings of Jesus, was that a loss? Was that like, well, we, we hoped he was the Messiah, but now he's dead. <laughs> no, it was the victory by which he defeated death, by which he overcame the world, by which he defeated sin decisively once and for all. And faith is what gives us the ability to look at our sufferings and the sufferings of the people of God and the sufferings of Jesus and say, God wins. God wins. Because I'm not going to give up trusting him just because Satan's turning up the heat. I'm not going to believe Satan's lies and the world's lies just because Satan's making me feel miserable. It's not as if these afflictions disprove the love of God, as if this wasn't part of his plan. Actually, this is part of his good plan. And Jesus is so good, we can endure these things for a time knowing that he's got even better things for us to come. So what's the Christian life? What's the normal Christian life? I want us to see you need both halves of this passage. You must have both halves. What happens if you lose the first half? What happens if you forget and lose the expectation of God's gracious intervention when you cease to expect grace to interrupt, grace to triumph? What happens when you lose that? Well, I think we all know. We, we fall into despair. We start giving up on people. We start saying to ourselves, not seeing any evidence at all, not to the slightest little drop of the Spirit working in this person. I guess that person's, there's no, no future. No. Or it leads us to hardness of heart. We stop caring, right? We just harden ourselves and just say, okay, society's tanking. My kids are just struggling with all this stuff. Here's all these people who don't know Jesus and they just don't care, whatever. And we harden our hearts against that and we stop caring. We stop lamenting. That's what happens when we lose sight of God as a God of interrupting victory. And I think ultimately it leads to a bitter attitude towards God, a disgruntled view of him. Well, he says he's a good, great redeemer. Okay, I'm not seeing it. We don't want to go there. <laughs> that is a toxic place to be. But, but I just want to ask you, do you see yourself in any of these things? Like, do you see yourself in those places where we lack faith? Because if the answer is yes then the answer is not, okay, well, just look harder. It's actually much rosier and nicer, nicer than it seems. Well, no. <laughs> it may actually be even worse, right? But faith says God is the God of the resurrection. God can do wonders. Christians are those who are made strong out of weakness. Do you believe that? I hope that you do. Because you're living in the age of the Holy Spirit the age of the victory of Jesus the Christ. Okay, but then we need to balance this, this view of the, you know, the victory. We need to balance it with the other half here. This is also, this is the age of victory, but this is also the age of suffering. And I hope those of you who know what these terms mean hear me saying that neither, or neither post-millennial nor amillennial people have the whole corner on the truth here. We need both emphases, both victory and suffering must be held together. So what happens if you expect a life not only of victories, but also of suffering? Well, a lot of things, I think. 
One is just we stop being thrown off by the trials God sends. We stop thinking to ourselves, man, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> right? We stop being surprised at opposition. We stop being surprised at how difficult it is to live a life of obedience. We stop saying stuff like this. Lord, I'm doing everything you told me in the Bible about being a loving spouse or raising godly kids and things aren't going right. What's the deal? Stop saying those things. Instead, we say, I don't understand what you're doing, Lord, but I do know this. Acts 14.22, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. For whatever reason, in the past, I don't know, three weeks, I have really struggled to sleep, and I cannot explain it. <laughs> I go to sleep at the right time, all that stuff. And I just lie there. <laughs> I'm not really worried about things or whatever, but I just, just can't. I go to sleep. And I think, feel like where this sermon is applied to me, where I've needed to apply this, is instead of saying, Ack, why is this happening to me? And, um, you know, like, oh, no, what if this becomes chronic and I have to deal with this the rest of my life? And, you know, all these kind of, you start to spiral, right? Instead of that, I need to say, Lord, I'll trust you. Trust this is part of your script for me. I'll trust you for the lost time. I'll trust you for the lost energy. I'm not going to live a life of fear. Do you believe? Do you believe that God's plan for you is not just victory, but also suffering? Are you willing to accept it as a good gift from Him? Do you believe that this is the biblically inspired script for your life? And indeed, that it's not just victory and suffering. It's actually victory, yes, and then also victory through suffering because of Jesus. It's all resting on the cross. We win the same way Jesus won. And even if we never see in this life how our sufferings are somehow victorious or how is this going to be good, makes no sense. We can still know by faith and on account of the death and resurrection of Jesus that we share in his victory. You believe that? I hope you do because it will give you so much joy. One last application. Do you realize that everything I've just shared with you from Hebrews 11, the author of Hebrews made those points from the Old Testament? He's making all these incredibly valuable points of application for us Christians from the Old Testament. We need to absolutely abandon the idea that the Old Testament is boring, second-rate, or not that valuable for Christians. Quite the opposite. We should come to the Old Testament. Yes, we know that it's sometimes hard, sometimes confusing. But we should come to the Old Testament expecting that we are going to see things that will just cause our faith to soar, that will help us. The Old Testament is not this book that was kind of co-opted by Christians and made to sound Christian. No, the Old Testament is inspired by the Spirit of Jesus Christ to show us the glory of Christ and of his people. We should never, never downplay the power of the Old Testament to encourage our faith. And we should never doubt the Lord's goodness. We should never doubt his plan to intervene for our good. We should never doubt his plan to triumph through even our sufferings. He's that good. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we have often doubted your goodness 
We have ceased to expect victories, and we have ceased from praying for, for things we should keep praying for. And Lord, we have also doubted your goodness in how we have interpreted our sufferings. Lord, we want to walk by faith. We want to have the right script in our minds. We want to have the right expectations about this life you've called us to. And we know it is a life of faith that will follow the Lord Jesus through suffering to great victory. And how excited we are to see how you will show yourself true to all that you've promised. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will the elders please join me up front for the Lord's Supper?